There is one song at Christmas that scars me. Yes, I said scars me. I'm not sure why people play it as a Christmas anthem to begin with. While it talks about Christmas, it's not even really about Christmas other than this is when the event happened. It's one of those songs that just kind of catches you off guard. And when you really listen to the words, it's really kind of a, it's kind of a downer. Now it's not, uh, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. I mean, that's funny. Or some of you may think that I'm getting ready to say, oh, it's grandma got run over by a reindeer. But no, those, that's kind of cute as well. But the truth of the matter is, it's not the worst Christmas song, in my opinion. Just my opinion. So here's some lyrics. Here's how the song goes. Maybe you know this. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. But the very next day, you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. Now, I cannot believe that we're opening a message in the holiday season by Wham! of all bands. But truth be known, this is not a Christmas song. This is about someone who is in love, who got their heart broken, who's going to approach Christmas differently. And people seem to want it played. All the time. But I will tell you this. I am convinced because last Christmas is considered a Christmas song. I believe this is why so many men rally around the fact that Die Hard should be a Christmas movie. You can't have it both ways. So why are we starting with this idea? Why would we start with this song last Christmas other than just to kind of talk about something that bothers me? Well, the truth of the matter is, I think one of the reasons that that song gets played is because many of us at this time of season understand what it's like to feel alone, to feel heartbroken, to do without, or to feel wounded. And so sometimes songs like that don't jingle and bring joy and don't necessarily give us the happiness that we want. Anthems get played out that resonate with the journey that we've experienced in our lives. You know, the truth of the matter is, when we think about Christmas, we like to think about the hope and the joy and the love that has come to earth through the person of Jesus. But the reality is the season and the backdrop of the birth of Jesus is in a season of turmoil and conflict and uncertainty. And when you open the, open the scriptures and you even see the portrait of the Christmas season, you see a, a young high school girl who is now seeing her reputation soiled because she's about to give birth to God's child. You see a, a young high school boy who's now trying to lead his family forward into a census, but his pregnant wife journeying on the back of a donkey can't even find a place to sleep at night because there's no room in the inn. The backdrop is of these sleeping shepherds who, while they're on the hillside caring for their flock, they're awoken to this announcement of angels, but they are excluded. They're on the outside. They're on the fringe of where life is happening. It's the portrait of a jealous king who desires to have complete control. And ultimately, he decides that in the pursuit of the new king, He would kill young babies, two and younger, to keep control of his throne. The backdrop of the birth of Jesus is in conflict. It's in uncertainty. 
It's in exclusion and isolation, much like our day today. And God saw that moment as the ideal moment for God to come in human flesh, to be born of a baby, to be the greatest exchange, the greatest gift exchange for humanity. It was because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It was God's desire that no one would perish, but that they would be saved through him. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to look at a, a passage today. It's not out of the early Gospels, but it's a reminder that Christmas is about God coming to earth, living a blameless, pure life, and being the sacrifice for all of us. That this baby born would be a man that would die on the cross, God in flesh, for the cost of our sins, for forgiveness, for life everlasting. 2 Corinthians is a passage that we're going to look at today. And the writer of this letter to the Corinthians, those living in Corinth, is a man who feared God. But he feared God and his zeal got the best of him to the point that he pursued God at the point that he was ultimately against God and against God's people. He has a radical relationship with God where, where Jesus speaks into his life. And in that transformative experience... His life turns upside down, turns completely around, and once being against God, he's now for God. And his life becomes the testimony of transformation that happens. What's intriguing is that the city of Corinth, though, is a city much like a Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It's known for wealth and influence, but it's also known for living the life the way people want to live for themselves. And so they are a people seeking and searching wants for themselves above everything else. And so Paul's message to them about where their hope is found, how healing can be found, and how wholeness can happen through a gift exchange of Jesus's heart for our heart, speaks deeply into our moment of time, of uncertainty, of insecurity. We have a chance to hear what God said then in a real-time moment for us today. Here's what it says, starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus, in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making the appeal through us. So we implore you. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul, the writer of this letter, is speaking of the transformative work that only comes through Jesus. It happens when we surrender our life to Jesus and the power of God's spirit begins to work from the inside out. It's about Jesus's sacrificial work for all of humanity because of God's love, the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting. This newfound life and ministry is understood that it's God's work towards a an interrupted and disrupted creation. That God is now changing people's lives, restoring his creation back to the peace that he intended from the beginning of creation. This transformative, life-restoring work that happens in God is so much different than how life is for many of us. He begins to describe it as the way the world looks at people its values, its purpose, its understanding of the way of humanity. And Paul says, because of God's work in us and through us, when we see ourselves and the people around us, we don't look at them based on the car that they drive, the job that they have, the person on their arm, uh, the name on the back of their jersey, the amount of money in their wallet. We look at them from a different perspective of whether they have a relationship with God or not. Because those of us who have experienced a relationship with Jesus, those of us who have surrendered our lives with God, we are not seen by our past, by our mistakes, or even our great works. We are seen by the forgiveness and restoration that happens through the sacrifice of Jesus and the empowerment of God's spirit in us. This is powerful. This is an incredible passage because this picture helps us understand that there is an exchange that needs to happen, a surrendering that needs to happen from us because a gift is being given from Jesus. So here's three things that I need you to begin to understand about the gift that Jesus is exchanging. That the gift of Jesus's heart, first and foremost, brings hope. It brings hope. Uh, that's what verse 17 begins to talk about, right? That we are to be reminded, first and foremost, that we have all sinned and we fall short of God's glory and God's expectations. But because of God's work, we are also now justified. Our relationship is corrected. It's reconciled. It's once again brought together with our God that we can now be in close relationship with him because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Literally, he says, the old is gone and the new has come. Meaning the old is so far away that where we are today, who we are before God today, it is permanent. It is for an eternity. And what has happened in our past no longer speaks to who we are before God. Uh, scripture illustrates it this way. And through a picture we call baptism. And baptism is literally where our lives are dipped into a, a, a basin of water. Our lives are buried underwater and brought back up. And it identifies 
us with the death, the burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ. But it is the portrait that the old is now put to death because the life that we are now living before God and each other, this is our true identity that we now live as people who know Jesus, experience Jesus, and live out the way of Jesus. We have this hope because of everything that God has done through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We have hope because we realize what we cannot fix, God has already fixed through Jesus. What we could not remove, God has removed through the cross of Jesus. And what we cannot restore before God, God restored through Jesus. So the question is this, right now, where do you find hope in this season? A second, the heart of Jesus brings healing. Not only do we have hope that our life is changed, but it begins to heal the very wounded heart that we may have. Verses 18 and 19 begin to pause. And after we realize our condition, there's a, hey, let's, let's pay attention here. Uh, you may be in this condition, but God has done something here. That's the, the real hero in this story. We need to make the statement that this hope we have found, this healing that we are receiving is from one source. It is from Jesus and Jesus alone. God is our reconciler. He has removed our sin and he removed it through the death of Jesus. God has taken this hostile relationship that we once had before God and he made peace with his wrath and our sin through the death of Jesus. God's new creation in us is now ushering in a restoration of God's creation. That as God has transformed us, God is now working in us and through us to bring peace to all of the world. There's an illustration I, I want to speak to about what it means to experience healing. When I was in middle school, I actually worked a, a job sometimes being a babysitter for kids. I went to one friend's house, uh, a farmer's house, who had a, a big Great Dane that lived outside. And that Great Dane came over, and I, I just reached out to pet it. Now, I, I didn't know. The dog was a puppy, and puppies like to chew on things. And I was not wearing any sort of heavy-duty gloves. And so when I stuck my hand out, the dog did what he naturally does. He, he bit down. And on my right hand, if you look real closely, there, there are two really light spots. And those are, those are teeth marks. Now, being in middle school and not knowing much about dogs or pets or how to really approach animals, uh, I made a foolish decision and just stuck my hand out and I got bit. And it hurt. It was excruciating when it happened. I remember I was trying to clean it out. I remember I was trying to take care of it. And the truth of the matter is, over time, that woundedness began to find healing and restoration. And I'll be honest a little bit, you know, in middle school, having a a cut or a scar from a dog's bite was kind of cool, but the pain was real and it impacted me. It really began to, it began to shape me in different ways about how I looked at dogs or pets or how to act in certain environments. And it took a season of relearning how to once again approach dogs that maybe it's not best to just run up to them and stick out your hand. Maybe there's a better posture to take, but in time, 
As my hand began to heal and I began to have more understanding about who I am and how to approach pets, my confidence has grown. I do not stand in fear of dogs if they growl or if they bark, but I know who I am and how to react. This is a similar illustration to what God has done in us. We have been wounded in this world. We have endured hardship in this world. And oftentimes we are unsure about how to reapproach life. And sometimes our woundedness drives us and we ignore the healing that God has for us. So here's the challenge for us, the questions that we need to begin to ask. What does it look like when healing is happening in our lives? See, what Jesus begins to help us understand is that our healing is happening when we accept the forgiveness of Jesus to our lives. Healing begins when we apply the forgiveness of Jesus to our lives and then begin to live it out before others. Healing begins to happen in our lives when we adhere to the faithfulness that God calls us to, to live out in obedience, the life of Jesus around others. So here's, here's the question I want to ask you. Where do you need healing in this season. Here's the third gift. The heart of Jesus brings wholeness. When Jesus begins to be described in his work in the Christian's life at this point, there is a result that shows up. We become ambassadors. Hope is placed in our lives. Healing begins to transform us and we begin to step forward as ambassadors, which means we stand as a representation of a higher authority that our lives are representing the movement, the mission of God and how God works in people's lives. Now that we have hope and we are experiencing this healing, we begin to see this description from Paul about how we are being reshaped. And so he begins to invite, he begins to implore, he begins to beg. He says, let your life be reconciled. Not just in the saving or the salvation that comes, but let it continue to be worked through your life so that what God has done in you and through you begins to transform what's happening around you. It's a powerful picture. It's a powerful picture. We begin to see God in every relationship and every circumstance and every story as an opportunity, not just to right what is wrong, but to begin to restore the relationships that we have with God and we have with the people around us. He says, we're ambassadors of the peace that God desires everyone to experience this season and every season. Now, I've never been an ambassador. But if you're an ambassador in this season and this time of life, you are representing a country or a, a leadership or a power in a foreign land. Uh, so if I'm living in some country on the other side of the world as the ambassador of the United States, that would mean that my role is to live in a country, not my own, but to live the values and the priorities of the nation that I'm a part of. This is the beautiful portrait of being a Christ follower, that we are not bound by borders. We are not called just to a spot, 
but that globally God is working in and through every Christ follower to stand with their life as a representation to the world that God has come, has impacted our life through the person of Jesus, and now through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we step forward living out the values, the mission, the calling of Jesus in every moment, in every circumstance, and every relationship that we come in contact with. This is an incredible picture. And we see this evidenced in what he lays out in the last few verses. That God treated Jesus as we should be treated. He took the punishment for our sins. And Jesus was made in flesh so that he could become our sin. He could take it on himself. And in being so, he became the sacrifice for our sins. He took our place for God's wrath. That on the cross, he endured our payment for our sin. He gave his life so that we might find new life in him. Jesus is our substitute. And Jesus is the one who participated in our place. And Jesus is our sacrifice so that we can be reconciled with God and restored to the person that God has called us to be. So let me ask you this. Where do you need wholeness this season? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a circumstance. Maybe it's just in a situation, whether it's at work or home or play. But Jesus offers a gift exchange like no other. Jesus offers his heart for our heart. Let me say that again. Jesus is offering his heart for our heart. The nation of Israel would have heard this and understood this calling because in Ezekiel, he speaks about this conversation that uh, the prophet Ezekiel has with the nation of Israel. And he says, I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove them from uh, their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. And then they will follow my decrees and be careful with my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. See, it's because God so loved this world, the world, all of humanity, that he gave his one and only son. And at just the right time, even while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Here's what we must recognize. We must be careful as followers of Jesus. If we claim to have a restored heart with God, but live with a hardened or calloused heart, if we've accepted his heart as our heart, we will learn to serve and not be served to the ones around us. We will look out for the left out and lift up the oppressed. We will forgive those who have wounded us. We will restore relationships that are broken around us. We will love those who seem unlovable and live at peace as best we can. But we tend to hold on to our heart, don't we? Because it's all we've ever known. Recently, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine. He's, he's a coach in my life. And he began to talk about the irony of his daughter when she was younger. Now, if any of us listening to this or watching this online have children, we know the irony sometimes that happens with kids and their wants. He said many times his daughter would come to him as a, as a toddler, as a young child, and be upset because her drink was empty. 
And so she would whine or cry or get upset and kind of hold out her cup like it's empty, it's empty. And so as a father, as needed, he would go and he would get her some juice or something to drink and he would take another cup and he would fill it up and he would walk towards her and he would begin to extend his cup to her. And she would just hold her cup, upset, angry because it's empty, wanting it to be filled back up again. And the interesting piece was, Sometimes she would hold so tight to the cup, she would not give it up. Why? (laughs) Because it's all she knew. It's all she'd experienced. And the relationship of trust wasn't winning the moment. I mean, think about this for a moment. Maybe you understand this. You know, this isn't only true for children. It's true for us as adults. Maybe you had a job that provided for you that you really liked and you seem to be doing really well, but all of a sudden you feel a discontentment that maybe God wants you to step out into something new and you're unsure about where to step out. Or maybe you were once in a relationship, a good relationship you thought, but then you got deeply hurt. You were betrayed And now somehow you've held onto this cup to where it's just now filled with bitterness. And now you're living out in anger and a frustration towards another. Maybe you once attended a church, you belonged to a church, you served, you were active, but you got burned there. And for whatever reason, you're watching today and you're thinking about Christmas, but there's a, there's a reluctantness to trust God again and step back into a community of faith. Maybe, maybe this year's just worn you out and you feel exhausted and overwhelmed and you're not even sure how to move forward with the next moment or the next day. What's the point of the illustration? Some people may say, oh, oh well, it's, it's that my cup is empty and God will fill it. Well, there's part of that. Oh, if, if what I have is, is what I think is good, God has something bigger and better for me. Is it the story that God's always going to give us more, better, more of what we want? You know, that's, that's true sometimes, but it's also very empty sometimes. I mean, share that message Uh, with a spouse who's lost their loved one to cancer recently. Now they prayed for God to work in them and the cup was not refilled. And God's asking them to carry an empty cup and trust him. Or tell that to the young man who's trying to do everything he can in his life to honor God, to care for his family, but can't seem to get a break in this season. And God's asking him just to stay the course and be faithful and trust him. No, the point of the illustration that my friend was trying to make is not, hey, if you're empty, God's automatically going to fill you back up. God's not our genie or our dispensary. It's not the story of, hey, if you have something and you want more and better, give it to God and get what you want. And it's not that. It's do you trust the Father that whatever he gives or doesn't give you, that you will exchange your life for his? Here's the question. Will we exchange our heart for his? I want to share a message with you that's pretty messy. It's a good friend of mine's Harold story. And I'm going to tell you, if you're sitting in a room and you've got young people in your room, the content that you're going to hear is going to just make some statements about some pretty adult scenarios. And so I want to caution you that you may have some things to explain after this. But what I love about Harold's story 
is that you will hear a messy life become the message of Jesus, his truth and his grace. So take a moment and listen to Harold's Because Jesus story. My name is Harold Darnall and I'm from Champaign, Illinois. We went to church every Sunday with Grandma Daisy, Mom, and but then uh, I had an experience after I was about between the ages of seven, nine years old in the church. Uh, I was sexually abused by a, a pillar in the church. I was in the fourth grade at, at a school called Prairie School in Urbana, and a lady came in and talked to us about abuse. And I realized that at that moment on that day, what was happening to me was wrong. The really bad part is when I went to somebody in the church I thought I could trust and tried to tell them about it, they told me I should never talk about it and, and that, that, that that couldn't have happened and it was, it was really bad. So uh, I, uh, I got a real bad sense of what God was. I changed my mind about God on that day too. So I, I went, continued to go in church for a few more years but as soon as I became a teenager, I just completely stopped. And unfortunately, you know, uh, I turned to drugs and alcohol at a very young age, about 12 years old. I tried everything I could try to make that pain inside of me go away. And that pain never did go away. I met Tina. We ended up together. It was Halloween night. I uh, pulled over on the side of the road on the way home and asked Tina to marry me. And she looked at me and she said, you're drunk. <laughs> so I said, she said, ask me again in the morning. Started, I started her life as a married man. And uh, it was good for a little bit. And then, you know, it got rocky. Well, then Tiffany came along. <laughs> and uh, once Tiffany was born, it changed me inside. It, uh, it made me realize there was a little more to life than just me. And actually, before Brittany was born, and I almost forgot this, I was in treatment. I went to Prairie Center for treatment. I was in there 33 days. I got out, and after I got out of there, I did really good for several years. I went uh, through 10 years of clean sobriety. So for 10 years, we, I, we had a really good marriage. Life was really good. Those 10 years were really great, and then, uh, I got a call that my little brother had died. It was devastating to me. And no one around me knew how devastating it was. And it wasn't long before I was back into drugs and alcohol. Uh, Tina asked me to leave the home and we had to end up getting divorced. During that time, I didn't have a good relationship with my daughters or with my ex-wife. And it was my problem, not theirs. They, they never, they never did not welcome me into, into that family. I think God brought me back to a place where I could feel comfortable with people I knew and were friends with. And then the, you know, the church just accepted me. I, I just, I feel loved here. I absolutely feel loved in this church. I remember one Sunday, Tiffany, she pulled me aside and she, wanted, she just looked at me and she said, Dad, I want you to know, no matter what you're going through, no matter what happens, I'm always going to be here from you from now on. Wow. What a state.
Me and Jim Mack, we grew up back in the neighborhood. Unfortunately, he was even one of the guys, we used to call him Dr. Mack, because uh, he was the one that would shoot us up sometimes. But Jim Mack and me, we just, we never, we, all of our lives, we never weren't not friends. Here, a year or so ago, him and Tina stopped by my house. He told me he had, was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he said, he said, I'll be gone in six weeks. A few days later, I went by to see him. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I just don't think he's ever been saved. I just don't think he's ever been saved. And so a few nights before he actually passed away, I called his wife, Tina, and asked her if I could come by and, and talk to him. And so I went by and I sat down there with him for a little bit and we were talking and stuff. And I said, Jim, I got something really important to ask you. And if I don't ask you, it's gonna, it's gonna haunt me for the rest of my life. He said, well, you know, you can ask me anything, brother. And I just asked him, I said, do you know where you're gonna go when you die? He said, well, what do you mean? He said, they're gonna put me in the ground. I said, no, nah, that's not what I'm asking you. In all the time we've been together, have you ever, have you ever given your life to the Lord? He said, well, I don't know that I have, so I've been to church, but we talked a while. And, and you know, I, I was able to leave that house that night knowing 100% for sure, and Jim knowing 100% for sure that all he had to do was pray that prayer. He's in heaven today. I don't doubt it one bit. I, I remember calling and telling Pastor Danny about it. I just couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop crying. I, you asked about when God can use you. God used me that night. He used me to let me know He's always there, and all I got to do is listen to him. And I went, I did my part, and God did the rest. If you hear that voice or you feel that touch, experience it. Don't, don't brush it off. See what God's asking you to do. Because it may not be what you want to, but if you do what he asks you to do, the rewards are phenomenal. My name is Harold Darnall, and this is my story. Thank you. That's cool. I love that Harold's story identifies a few values of our church, that we are a loving community and we do show outward compassion because our mission is about helping each other follow Jesus. And when our messy lives show up, that's what this passage is about. God brings a message of truth and grace through us to change the world around us. I wanna encourage you to go ahead and grab your app if you would. This app that our staff has created is a huge gift to us. It allows us to actually be able to communicate, take next steps, to be able to respond to what God is doing in this moment. And maybe today you're in a point where you know that you need to exchange your heart for God's heart. Maybe it's a decision uh, to talk with a pastor or a friend. Maybe it's about getting more connected through the church. Maybe it's surrendering your life through baptism. Maybe it's responding in our next acts of worship, but whatever we're going to do in this moment, the app is the best resource and tool for us to be able to engage 
in this season or any season. It's given to you to help us follow Jesus together. So let me challenge you to take a moment, maybe give us a prayer request or take a next step today. I also want to encourage you in this moment to take the elements, the bread and the juice. Each week we pause for a time of communion and this one act, even in its simplicity, helps represent what this passage has been talking about today. That it was the act of Jesus, his death on the cross. His death on the cross was the payment of our sins. His resurrection from the grave overcame the power of death, overcame the power of sin, and now gives us new life everlasting. But before that happened, Jesus took that moment and he took some things. He took the bread and he said it this way. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the the cup. He took the wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. He was telling them that this will be a new covenant, a new commitment of how God makes all of humanity right. How we are all reconciled before God. And they did not know when he made that statement that he would then leave, uh, be betrayed, and ultimately crucified. But we stand as a church, as a people who look back at history and recognize that watershed moment and those words spoken in that night are a portrait that now is deeply embedded in our lives as we live out the reality of the resurrected Jesus. Just as he was restored, our lives are being restored so that all the world might know his peace. Last of all, we invite everyone to contribute through our giving. When we give to God through the local church, we are extending God's mission to the community and the world around us. We encourage you to use the app because you can go directly uh, to an opportunity to give online, one of the most secure, safest ways to give. And every one of us who call First Christian their home, we have a chance to help with the Christmas offering that is empowering First families who are on the mission field, whether overseas or in our backyard. And we have a chance to give a year-end gift or our regular offerings back to God because we want to advance the mission of Jesus. When we give help, others can get help and we partner together so that God's kingdom and kingdom works are advanced. However God is leading you today, whether it be through prayer, through the connection card and the next step, through giving or the response of communion, may God implant in us today the confidence that we can stand in the coming year, in the coming days, that God is still at work restoring and changing lives. Let's continue to respond.